stay at home on nine to five, raising your babies with joy and pride. A real ass mom, your real ass mom, taking care of business. Ooh, girl, you're resilient. Cause you're a real ass mom, a real ass mom. Welcome to the Real Mama Pod. I'm your host, Devin. And I'm your host, Kendra. We are real moms. Sharing real experiences. The, the things people don't tell you. Hey, Mama, hey. Hey, Mama, hey. How you doing, friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. We have a guest, and I'm super excited about this guest. <laughs> so if this is your first time listening, I'm your host, Devin. And I'm your host, Kendra. Welcome. Welcome to the Real Mama Pod. So back to our guest. We have Kenedria Thurman, also known as Kiki. Um, she is my pro fight. Um, I've known her for a very long time. And as long as I knew her, she's always been about the kids. Yes. Like the baby whisperer, the preschool whisperer. Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she what? just always, well, yeah. she always had somebody's kid <laughs> and she was always teaching the kids. Um, so now she's a preschool director at FAMU. Um, and she is just running things. She's yeah. very knowledgeable with uh, conscience discipline. So we'll talk about that a little bit more because it's some of the things that they're doing. It's really interesting. It actually works. Um, she's also a godmom of two kids that she um, has that she's taking care of. Yeah. So her story is very unique. And um, I'm just excited for her to be on the podcast and talking about this area of expertise, because we do always have questions about how do I pick the right preschool? How do I know this school is good for me and my child? And so now we have a whole expert here. She's also a research professional. Yes. And she's been doing this for 20 years. So. Oh, really? Yes, 20 plus. Yeah, it's been a very long time. We're low-key aging ourselves. I know, so we're not going to throw out anything else about years and stuff. But welcome to the show. Welcome, Kiki. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good, how are you? Good to see you. I'm happy to be here. I love everything about here. the Real Mama Pod. Like, I stay in y'all's DMs. I'm like, I love, love, we appreciate love y'all. We, we love, love you, you right too. back. We love oh. you more. How about that? So <laughs> let's get right into it, Kiki. Let's talk about your journey of how you became this phenomenal educator and also your journey to kind of mamahood because you have a unique story as well. Uh, so let's dive into it. Yes. So thank you for having me. I am Kenedria Thurman and I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. And yes, I've always loved working with children. Um, I wasn't really sure of how that looked um, outside of being a preschool teacher. Like it's always just been my dream to work in a preschool, to teach children, to work directly with them. And so I started out doing that in 2001 and I really haven't turned back. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Beijing, China. And so I thought I was going to be working with preschool, but that actually started my journey of working with school-age children. And as you say, uh, you know, I'm now a quad mom. I have four God babies, one in heaven, one that is a new little four-month-old baby, so precious. And then I also have a uh, set of what I like to call twins. 
They're eight and 10, Hakeem and Empress, <laughs> and they live with me. And so we've been on this journey of my home life where I've been like kind of merging what I do at work to what I do at home. I started when they were two and four, and now I'm into that school age range. So I'm kind of like out of my wheelhouse, you know, preschool is where I wanted to be. So I need some help and some advice <laughs> on that age group, please. <laughs> hey, that's a unique age too. Yeah. Like I feel like each age group has its own challenge. Absolutely. 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 That was so good. I'm we're so happy to have you. So um let's get right into QA. Um, sure. thank you for introducing yourself. But when did you first fall in love with preschool teaching? Um, how do you know how did you know this was a job for you? And what do you enjoy most about your job? So um I'm the oldest of fifteen grandchildren. And so naturally, I was always the big kid around the little kids. So I think that's really where my love started, um, my first cousins. And I think that what happened was when I had the opportunity to work, I sought out things that involved children. So like I would like, you know, maybe watch some kids somewhere while we were at a function and nobody was paying me for it. I was just doing it and we were having a good time. And so then um, my first job was a preschool teacher and everybody at this particular job moved up and went into like the older age groups, like they followed their kids. And I always say with the right. preschoolers and people were like, she's a preschool person. And I think that's where it really cemented in my mind because I was studying early childhood education at FAMU. But I also um, wasn't really sure where my height was at the time. I thought it was to own my own preschool. And so when I started working in childcare and working in preschool, I'm like, I actually like being around the children. So mm -hmm. that was probably, mm, I would say a 1995 love story, like around fifth grade <laughs> is probably when I fell in love with preschool. My first cousins. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. That's usually the introduction. It's like you get stuck watching your older cousin's kids Absolutely. or your auntie kids and then you the babysitter. Or your mama's exactly. kids. Exactly. They like come over, right. but they just want <laughs> your to entertain kids. their kids. Like right. I should be getting compensated for this. Oh, right. girl, please. Say, I'll pay you no mind. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, right. Hey, right at oh, all. I wrote up this whole proposal up. and everything of how she should pay me. And she was like, yeah, I'll pay you no mind. Not a proposal. That's funny. I have raised it all. You had a so business Kiki plan. With, <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. Like, pay me my worth. Shoot. Um, okay. So, Kiki, when you think about, I guess, your career um, mm -hmm. and, and giving moms and dads or and parents in general uh, feedback on how they should go about selecting the right preschool, like, what are some things they should be mindful of um, what should they research on before selecting a program like what helps them select a quality school for their kids absolutely I think it's important to realize that preschool is a place where you're supposed to go and prepare for school and so that might look different mm -hmm. for different children like some children can you know be inspired in an open-ended play-based program um, and they can still mm -hmm. develop and grow in a way that builds school readiness. And other children might need a more rigorous academic program where they're learning more 
concepts um, on a regular basis and, and showing data and outputs. So I think for me, when I'm looking for um, the quality in our preschool and comparing it to other quality preschools that I've visited or been to, I think it's about how you feel when you walk in. Um, during this time, you know, we were not doing a whole lot of tours and allowing families to come into our center. So they couldn't really feel the inner vibe. Um, and so we're just kind of getting back to that. But what we did in the interim and what I hope that we will continue to do is to make you feel warm when you're on the phone. Right. So even if you're calling the school and you're just asking questions and you want to know, you know, what their rates are, if you want to know what their ratios are, like how do they communicate from beginning to end? Because that's going to be your experience as a parent and your experience matters. Mm. But then on the child side, I think that it's important to look at how they engage with the environment. When they first visit the center or on their first day of preschool and they're in the classroom, are they allowed to kind of express themselves, find something that they like? Are they drawn to anything in the center? And so if this is like a baby, you know, an infant or a toddler, someone who's young, just look at how receptive they are to the environment. Do they cling to you or are they kind of interested in what's there? That kind of gives you a feel of what would be quality for you because it's how you feel on the inside and it's going to mm -hmm. look different. Quality is measured in so many different ways in the United States. I've definitely seen that. But I also believe that it's about that gut feeling of this is right for me and my family and this is right for my child and this is the mm -hmm. pathway kind of that I want to put them on. Yeah, and right for your pockets too because right for your I remember pockets, us <laughs> Right from your pockets. <laughs> like we, when we were shopping for preschools for Eli, there was a Montessori school that we saw and we really liked it, but they were like breaking the bank. And we're like, we cannot afford this. But we yeah. ended up finding a school that was much smaller. Um, a lot, if it's a, a Spanish immersion school, so all his teachers are brown women. Um, the owner is a black woman. The assistant director is a black woman. So he was able to or he is able to be around people who resemble or look like him um, and also pick up a second language. And it just felt like home, like the teachers have older kids. So they're like it's like this grandmother mm -hmm. feel, but they also have younger teachers there to so just kind of balance things out because the kids do try like, the older women. But it's. Yeah. it's a perfectly balanced school it's it's like you it feels like home so that feeling walking into that space and Eli as soon as he walked in the the room he was like oh my gosh I want to explore I want to touch this I want to do that so it felt good knowing that he was interested and curious in the space that he was going to occupy so that is important Absolutely. Kiki so money yeah. matters and all, everything else you just there. And there's also yeah. out there if you need help financially, like there are programs that will help support you in the cost of child care. You just kind of have to look in your area. Like, mm -hmm. for example, in Leon County, we have um, the Early Learning Coalition, and that's primarily for families who have low income, but that supports children being able to start preschool. So I think cost is important, but I think parents who 
who don't have the budget, like don't let that stop you from giving your child that experience. Research and find those dollars that mm-hmm. are out there. At the university, we have a grant program where if you're a student, you can help get the cost of childcare covered while you're taking classes. So maybe you want to go back and get a second degree or you're pursuing um, your first degree. You know, this is an opportunity for you to give your child that experience. So yes, cost is a big thing, but also don't be discouraged. There's some help out there to give your child the experience they need. Yeah. If you're a Georgia mom, um, there we have a, a program here called CAPS. It's Child and Parent Services, and they provide kids with scholarships to attend um, preschools who are also enrolled as a, a CAPS provider, essentially. So there are local resources, state resources. So if you are a mama who needs support with funding uh, preschool for your kids, check into your state resources because I'm sure they're there. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're a military spouse, there are resources for us as well. Um, something called Child Care Aware. And so they actually pay a portion of your daycare costs as well. So it makes it really affordable for your child to attend, attend these schools that you want them to. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some regulations around it. Um, the child care on base has to be full in order for your child to attend those schools. But nine times out of ten, they're full. Mm-hmm. So you get to go to the schools you um, want to because a lot of time um, – service members get priority of this those schools on post so speaking of parents 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 have you ever had a difficult parent and if so how did you deal with that situation how did you calm them down did they return back to your school like what did that look like I'm always interested to know that well I have been a director uh now since 2014 And so I've definitely had my fair share of difficult parents. But I think going back to that initial, like, is this the right relationship is where it ultimately came down to. Like some parents give you a hard time because they know that you're capable of providing this level of service and they're pushing you to meet Mm. the standard, to meet their expectations. You're taking their money, give them what they're asking for. So I've had that. And then I've also had those who are kind of like, I'm not really sure that you want to be here no matter what we do. So, you know, let's kind of see how we can end this amicably. And so in that situation, maybe they didn't return. Um, But in other situations, I think we've been able to kind of work through um, what this is really about when they're being difficult. And I think the relationship that administration has with families is very important. I've had my fair share of mistakes um, where I've had to learn and grow because I started out I don't even remember how old I was when I was in 2014, when I became um, a director, it was such like a, everything's happening. Right. And so you have a lot of different families that came through, through this time period where I'm like, I don't really know what to do in this situation, but I'm going to lean on (laughs) relationship and I'm going to (laughs) say, let me listen and let me hear you out. And so 
building that relationship as an administrator with families definitely helps with difficult situations. But then also just know that everybody's not there to give you a hard time. Like some parents are really just, they don't have the skills to say, I want this for my child. And so they come off, you know, from an emotional state or a survival state, which is what we talk about in conscious discipline. So another one of um, our approaches has been to expose our families to conscious discipline, to talk to them about calming down. So not necessarily me calming them down, but giving them the strategies, the tools and access to the information so that they can realize I'm coming on a little strong right now. I'm going off on this teacher. I'm going off on this administrator. Let me pull this back and just really communicate my needs. And so we've pretty well managed things like that, but it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. Okay. So before we go into our next question, what is conscious parenting? Tell us about that and what that looks like. Oh yeah. It's conscious discipline. So conscious discipline Yeah, it's a social emotional approach, right? So it's basically understanding that adults have the power to then dictate what the environment or situation could be because children learn from us, right? And so we co-regulate them. And so the the energy in which we bring into the space, right, the power in which we invoke allows us to be able to navigate situations and teach children skills. So when something happens, instead of us reacting to it, we respond and teach them what we know is missing so that they have an opportunity to learn and grow in that social emotional space the same way that we do with um, teaching math or teaching reading it's really just understanding that they're learning and growing this is the first time you've ever told them no about this thing so they're falling out and they seem irrational but really the energy you bring to it the way you respond is conscious discipline it's the thoughts and the mind set that you have towards the child and towards those situations Um, It's language that you use it's phrasing things in a way that is brain-based and so For those out there in the science field, it's all based in neuroscience. It's brain research. It is what empowers my mind. Um, I enjoy learning about conscious discipline because it's so amazing how this brain organ really works, right? And we all have one, but the way that it works and the basic functions of it really allow us to have better relationships with people. And it especially helps us to understand where children are because their brain is developing so rapidly in those preschool years. So if we speak to the brain, that's really how we can teach them the best way that they need to learn. But each one of their brains is wiring up in a different way. So we kind of got to yeah, take it slow and understand who they are, which is why I can't say this is what quality is for your child, because you need to assess that for your child, for their brain, for right. their experience. So that's so Kiki, let me ask you this. Yeah. So when you talk about conscious discipline and you look at a kid who may be having a tough day in your in your preschool, can you give us an example of how you would use conscious discipline to support this baby who's having a rough day? Yeah. Give me an age. Mm, Four. Okay. okay, no, no, no. Let's go three. Let's go three. Let's go three. Ooh, three nagers. You a gave me a tough one. I'm still learning and growing. Three-year-old. Yes. <laughs> Because three-year-olds, so just understanding their mind really quickly, right? Like a three-year-old is verbally strong um, in a typically developing child, but either way, like personality is emerging into four, right? So they're starting to figure things out. They want cause and effect. They're testing things, even though they know it to be a fact. They're asking, you know, a lot of why questions and peeking onto that developmental level of 
how does this all really work? This thing mm -hmm. called life. And so the three-year-old is having it upset. The first thing I'm going to do is try to meet them where they're strongest. And that's probably in their emotional state where they've developed that language, that sense of like, I am also a part of a we and there is a separation here. So I would go, your face is going like this. You seem frustrated. You were hoping that we didn't have apples today. You didn't know what else to do. So you picked up the apples and you threw them on the floor. Yeah, that's hard. I get that. I get that. So here's what we can do. We can pick up the apples and put them in a trash can, or you can pick up the apples and hand them to me. How do you want to help? And giving them that choice, giving them that power, bringing them back up. And then we can talk about, you know, whatever else might be going on. Because sometimes they kind of shut down at that age and they don't really want to talk once you engage them in the middle of a conflict. Or they get all whiny and start crying because they also have had a lot of experience with their survival state. So they start acting more like a baby, right? They ball up, they curl up, and now you really can't communicate. I would just hold. I'd stop talking. I'd just hold, and I'd hold space for that upset. And once they come out of it, then we can talk about picking up the apples. So I like that approach. How, can, how do you want to help? Put the responsibility yeah. back on mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Right. And that is really, really good. I'm going I'm to try that with yeah. these kids that I have. How, yeah. how do you want to help? help? Drew will be like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, Loki said the same. I, I don't want to help, mommy. I don't want to help. <laughs> working on it. We're working on it. So going true. back to some pros and cons of preschool, right? Because some yeah. people homeschool. Some people allow their children to go to preschool because they are working moms or working parents or whatever the case may be. So what are some pros and cons? I know a con for me personally is like the daycare germs, right? Especially that first year and the kids mm -hmm. coming home sick like every other day. And I'm like, I still got to pay every home with me. Yep. Yep. Every day. Need that shit. So <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's, 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 let's dive into that. Some pros and cons of, of preschool. Absolutely. And so just as you stated, you know, it is a germ environment, right? And so that's <laughs> another thing going back to selecting it. What does it smell like when you walk in there, right? Yeah. Does it smell mm -hmm. like somebody just cleaned? Is it overpowering with bleach? Like we want to be mindful of that too. Like it should smell like a place where they're cleaning it regularly, but you also are not overwhelmed by any fumes or things of that nature because that's dangerous. And so for us as yeah. teachers and professionals, we get sick too, right? They germs are our germs. We're with them like eight, nine hours a day. Um, in most cases for preschool. And so we're catching what they're catching. And so that's definitely a con. Another con I would say probably is not choosing the right place. Like trying a preschool, paying your money, not really liking it, and just having a struggle of an experience. Um, for me, I would like to shift more to what the pros are, right? The pros are your child is going to be um, given the opportunity to be prepared for school and school readiness. We want that, right? We want our scholars um, to be amazing. And the only way to do that is to really give them those experiences. And preschool doesn't have to be a facility or a child care. It can be a mom group. It can be, you know, weekly play days, giving them that social experience, but really focusing on their 
development and what they need. I don't mean like taking them to the park and you sit on the bench and have fun and they just play. But like, how are they playing? Are they playing according to their developmental level? Are they getting those challenges? Are they being stimulated? Um, and so that's the ultimate pro for preschool. But when you talk about like a child care facility, um, you know, those have the pros of more support. Typically, child care facilities have um, administrators. They also have resources. They also have related services that can come in. And so you kind of get this whole child approach. You can even find places that serve meals. So that's definitely budget friendly because once you pay for child care, you're not packing lunches and snacks every day. Now, there are some centers who will have you pay sky high prices and they want you to send food to. And that's hard because... Maybe they don't have it in the budget to pay uh, for food, but I think a place that really um, wants to care for children should help parents in that area because that's a hard area to feed children three times a day. I'm learning that um, as a parent of an eight and a 10 year old, they eat a little bit more than preschoolers. And so therefore... <laughs> I need to sign up for some stamps or something, but <laughs> listen, anyway. ain't nothing wrong with stamps. Right. Let me yeah, know how at all. Too. But Let's another the price con... of groceries, Lord Jesus. I'm sorry. Oh no, you're good. <laughs> another con is, um, is along those lines, right? So some people feed their children some things and schools provide something different. So that may be a con is like difference in opinion. So at our school, we allow parents to give us what's called a preference. So you can tell us things that are not an allergy, but it's like, I just don't want my child to have that. I don't want them to have this. I don't want them to have that. So you want to have that um, con kind of be resolved into a pro where that can be a center or a program that will allow you to say, this is what I want for my child. And they kind of work those needs and concerns in because some schools is, this is our way and this is the highway and you cannot do it. I'm not, I said that wrong. This is, is our way or you can take the highway. That's right, the right, right, right. Way. Um, because they don't want to change their policies and allow families to do, you know, some of the things that they think is best for their child. So that could be a con, but try to find a center that will turn that into a pro for you. Um, mm -hmm. Another pro, I think, is building those lifelong friendships, right? Like you get to build a relationship as a family member, like as a mama, as a, a parent, you get to have relationships with other parents. You get to fellowship, you get to commune. Your child gets to have peers that they can grow up with, you know, and build these lifelong bonds with. And so I think that's an mm -hmm. added pro um, to starting them in school early and, and building those young relationships. That's all great pros. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because Drew really have friends from preschool. They they started preschool together and now they're in elementary school. And because of zones and things like that, they go to different schools. Yeah. And we still set up play dates with his best friends. Like at least once a month they get together. They have they're almost the same, like the same birthday, love Spider Man, like they're the same kid pretty much. But like they really have a relationship. Mm -hmm. They really miss each other. But like, hey mom, we haven't seen George in a while. Can we call his mom? You know? So and vice versa. She'll be like, Oh, George is calling me. <laughs> can we yeah. can we link up for ice cream or something? Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, it's it's and good that you know, he said that. Yeah, and the kids remember their teachers. Like, yeah. I still have relationships with children that I taught in preschool. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they're in college now, and they remember that I was their preschool teacher. Of yeah. course, I cultivated that relationship over time. They don't just remember, you know, random Miss Susie that you had them with for two weeks and then change schools. But right. if you mm -hmm. help them cultivate that relationship and help them build it, that's also an adult and a mentor in their life. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, that helps support your family and builds your village as well. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So do you have an answer of how to combat uh, daycare germs? Is there a secret (laughs) sauce? (laughs) And if you got it, please share share. recipe. Listen, I wish I had the secret sauce for that, but it's it looks like a grocery receipt of elderberry, ginger, and lemon. Um, <laughs> Maybe some lemon in sure honey. I mean, sure. <laughs> yes, got to get some honey. Um, but also really teaching your children like some basic germ skills early on. When we're at home, you know, we tend to let people eat off each other's plate, drink out of each other's cups. They're learning and developing about how society works. And so they don't really know the difference between home and school yet. So if there's not any boundaries at home, then I'm not really following boundaries at school. And a lot of the times germs are shared because they're shared items. They're picking up the same toy, they're passing it. But if a child puts it in their mouth and they don't know, you know, that that's not something to go in their mouth, the preschool has to step in and provide that intervention. You need to be pulling that toy out of play and it needs to be going into a bleach water bin and it needs to be sanitized so that you can put it back in the environment and they're not sharing germs in that way. So it's twofold. Teach your children, you know, some basic things um, at home before you send them to school and then also reinforce it. Um, One of the things that I really don't understand and I keep seeing it a lot, like adults cough in their hands and so we're teaching children to cough like this but i'll be around educators and they're coughing in their hand and i'm like this is why the kids are having a hard time and this is why daycare germs exist because it's not really like a practice what you preach type thing like we've got to actually model this for them on a consistent basis washing our hands um very well and then not putting things in our mouths like hand foot and mouth Y'all. Son has had it. It's- and it, I'm telling you, and are you not like, what is this? <laughs> it's so, it's, it's yucky. It's yucky. And it's not those babies' fault. And they're the ones suffering. And all that it is, is a bunch of cross-contamination. So we got to put these preventative measures in place um, to support it at home and at school. Because once it gets in the school, it spreads to everybody so quickly. And it's really hard to identify who caused it um, because they're all coming in contact and we want them in close intimate environments. They're young. They need that. But at the same time, we have to protect them by teaching them and then also modeling um, and check with your school, you know, ask them how often they sanitize toys, ask them how often they um, change things out, become familiar with it because that'll help you also know, you know, this may be something I need to speak up about, or this may be something, you know, that doesn't work for me because they don't seem to be cleaning the environment frequently enough. Yeah, that was really good. And um, I guess it just comes with the territory. Yeah, it really does. It comes with the territory. And uh, it gets better with time. So if we yeah. have a mama listening who baby is always sick, like I get it. That first yeah. year is disrespectful. It is hell. Like, it knock is. on wood. Okay. <laughs> so far we're in the clear. Okay. And this is yeah. a mama who baby was home every week. I'm at urgent care every week trying to figure out what's wrong and all this other stuff. But they said it's very common for your child to get sick yes. anywhere from 16 to 24 times in one year if they attend school. I feel like Eli was over the 24. It was over the 24 for me. Yes. Absolutely. It was over Absolutely. 24. Yeah. And you mentioned We've had everything that could come out. Oh, sorry. I didn't hear you, Kendra. No, go no, ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. 
Oh, I was just saying the one-year-olds are so common to get sick because that's the age where they're starting to really teeth and really explore their environment. So they're putting more things in their mouth and their body is really just determining, okay, is this okay or is this not okay? So it seems like they're really, 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 really sick, but this is building their immune system. And so it's normal for them to be absent from school. And so we kind of know that and we try to let our parents know um, we understand that. If there's any right. hospitalization, we do allow them um, to not pay child care because oh. that's already a burden. So if there's any hospitalization, you can just show us that and we will definitely waive that because it's already a burden, right? right. And we know that it's common. So we don't want to, you know, kind of add to that. So talk to your okay. school if you know that your child has been having these moments and just say, hey, you know, I want to enroll in the school. I want to be here. But do you have a part time basis or something that I can modify my tuition while we go through this critical period? Because these ear infections keep coming back and forth. This fever keeps coming mm -hmm. back and forth. But the doctor says they're OK. So just talk to them about that. That's good. A good model. I did. And they told me no. So you know, uh, school that did we, we lose yeah. our spot. Yeah, that you got first, lucky. The first month he started school, he was out for maybe three of those four weeks because he was sick. And they waived our tuition, most of it, for that month because he was out. And we yeah. didn't ask for it. or They just gave it to us because they understood. Like, they know. Yeah. So let's go into, since we're talking about toddlers and especially, specifically, one-year-olds. Biting and hitting. Let's touch on that for a little bit because that's very common. And I know sometimes parents get overwhelmed by that and do, doesn't, don't necessarily realize that that is age appropriate behavior. Yeah. And so, you know, I know a kid who got kicked out of daycare for biting. And I was just like, yeah. I don't know if that was a good space for you, but you're the expert. So let's yeah. tap on that a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think what centers try to provide is a place where families can feel safe. Mm -hmm. And if your child comes home with a bite mark or they're hurt um, by another child, that's a cause for concern. Like, is my child safe? And so with that being said, I understand the measures, but I definitely disagree with the policy because it is very much so age appropriate, appropriate, excuse me, for toddlers to bite. And some of the reasons why is because pretty much everything that babies do is oral at first. Right. And so it's like my way to communicate to the world. Like you feed me, I cry. Now, you know, to change me, you know, if I want to know how something looks, I taste it. You know, babies are weird like that. They put everything in their mouth. So when you have a toddler who's been used to using their mouth a lot and they get frustrated, right? They start being overcome with emotion. They have more strength. They're in more social environments. Biting is sometimes a way to communicate. Hey, you got too close. Hey, that's my toy. I didn't have the words to say it. So I'm gonna just give you this little nip. So, you know, don't touch that, my seat. And so it is very developmentally appropriate. And the more that society really understands that about young children, we'll start helping families with it and be more proactive um, and put preventative measures because they kind of give you some kind of an indication that they're upset and they're about to bite. Or they've given you like um, some other indicators like their toys have teeth marks in them. 
like they're chewing on things in the environment. Um, they are very heavily reliant on a pacifier. That also sometimes contributes to the oral biting. Why? Because they're used to having something in their mouth. And so it's really something that I don't think that preschool should continue to ostracize children and families for, rather um, understand it developmentally and really look at ways to prevent it. Um, with that being said, hitting, you also mentioned. So when mm -hmm. they're starting to develop, their hands are like, you know, they're learning how to use their muscles. And so they move kind of weird, like, yeah. right? And so babies, they're doing this and they're not trying to hit you. They're like saying, I want that, or they're pointing <laughs> at that, right? right? And so as that continues to develop, adults tend to, and I know some people are going to be like, I don't agree with this. Please don't come at me, at my head. But, <laughs> um, we tend to interpret that as hitting, right? And so we're meaning makers for children. We make meaning of what they're doing. And so the first time that your child does that, if you say, don't hit mama, don't be hitting me in my face, instead of, oh, you wanted to see my earring, you were trying to see my earring, right? And just giving them um, understanding for that rather than labeling it as hitting early on, then we tend not to get into this relationship where now, you got to get pop pop because a lot of people are pop popping at home and then they go to preschool and they're pop popping. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't spank my child. Yeah. But you pop pop every now and again because we can tell because <laughs> they pop in the baby dolls. Right. And they're saying, hey, damn, hey, damn, you know, we know. And there's nothing wrong with it, right? We're not judging it. What we're saying is the behaviors that they experience at home, they're going to bring them to school. And sometimes hitting and biting um, is happening, but it's literally because that is what has been downloaded or that is what they naturally are doing from their survival state. And we just have to understand it and be responsive to it rather than punishing it, you know, so much with the hitting. Now, if you have aggressive hitting, children who are acting out of aggression, like doing bald fists and hitting, there is a cause for concern. And I would encourage you to talk to the child's teacher, have a meeting, see if you could bring in a resource if you don't know where this behavior is coming from, um, because that could be an indicator of something else that we need to look at. So not all hitting is unintentional. Some hitting, you know, may look very aggressive. It may be very overt behavior. And in that case, you need to have a conference and you need to bring in some resources if you all can't come up uh, with some solutions. And that was a really good response to that question because I was definitely the, if the baby is like waving their yeah. hand, I'm like, wait, are you trying to hit me? But <laughs> I like the way you phrase that. Like you're, you're trying to grab something or you're, you want, you're curious about something. And I, yeah. I like the way you put that Kiki, because that was not the way I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead you said it's true yeah it's it's just true that like that's just how our brain works like we make meaning of things we don't intend to like you weren't trying to make your child a hitter by saying that you were just mm -hmm. like wait a minute what's happening here like mm -hmm. when somebody swings at you that looks like a hit that's a normal thought um, mm -hmm. And so what happens in so many other areas, too, like with tantrums or falling out, we make meaning of what that is or what that means. And sometimes we're kind of a little off track with it. And therefore, it persists um, because we're rather uh, than working with it. We're resisting it and saying, you're not going to do that. Don't don't do that. No, you're not. And it's like, actually, I don't know any other way to let you know that I really, really want that cereal right now. Right. I don't know yeah. any words to use. So right. this is the skill I have. So here we go. And Q4. 
<laughs> that, that was good. That was good. I'm, that was really insightful. So, last question. Are you opening up your own school? Oh. Listen. You need one. And it needs to I be a franchise at this point. You're right. <laughs> I'm bringing it up here to Atlanta. Right, right. I really had that as my dream initially. Um, I wanted to own the world's largest and most productive daycare. And as you know, I don't really like the term daycare. Days take care of themselves. At a minimum, we're taking care of children. Um, unless they Tuesday and Wednesday, and that's their name. We are right with that. <laughs> but um, I believe that owning something um, that large is no longer where my dream is. My dream is more so about the on-the-ground impact. Like, I want to be available um, to reach out to those people who have their centers, right, and help them kind of build those relationships with their families and strengthen their relationships that they provide for children. I don't know that I really want to do the management of people. Um, it's not really my thing. Like, I might buy one and then let somebody else have it. I do not think that I want to do it anymore. And it goes back to that difficult parent question. It's not about the parents. It's not about the children. If that were my sole reason, I would do it today. It's about the industry and people really understanding what it is that we do. Like early educators are fighting so hard for people to understand that we're not just babysitters. Like we're literally taking care of children at the most critical period of their brain development, the brain that they're going to have for the rest of their lives. We pay people like they don't deserve to have a job. Like it's such minuscule pay and their families are forced to pay so much. So that often strains relationships or messes up the expectations. So it's a really difficult industry to be a business owner in. And so I commend all that choose to do ownership because I know that you are fighting every day to take care of your children, to make your families happy. And also to take care of your employees while hoping that you bring home an income because it's not a money-making industry. And so if I become rich and I get enough resources, I'm going to have a preschool and you're not going to have to pay for it. And people are going to get paid because that's the only thing that will hold me back from owning it. It's just, it's a difficult business. It's a difficult industry um, because of the lack of understanding and the lack of emphasis that we kind of put on this critical field. Yeah. I've worked at a preschool uh, when I was in graduate school and it is a lot. And I was getting paid yeah. like a graduate student. So that means I'm getting paid less than the people who actually work here. Um, it's a lot of work mentally, physically, emotionally. I would go to, into that school happy to see the kids, of course, but they would kick my ass yes. every single day. Yes. I was so tired and exhausted by the time I got home. Like, who's going to do schoolwork after being at that <laughs> school all day? So it's a lot. I, I have so much love and empathy for preschool educators because it takes a physical and mental toll on you every day. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And you were talking about the differences in age groups in childcare workers, right? So you want to have a balance like you found at Eli's school where you have younger people, older people, but older people typically have families. So if as a Mm -hmm. college student, you're going home exhausted, imagine if you have children at home to take care of. That's where my faith really got tested when I literally was coming home to to little kids every day. And I was like, oh, have mercy, father. I needed conscious discipline so much because I was responsible for that continual brain development at home. And baby, my brain was done. Okay. (laughs) I didn't want to, I didn't want to see nothing but a bed and maybe scandal, you know, but I had to learn how to balance that. And so, um, that's funny. I did not know that you used to work in childcare. That's so cool. Yeah. It's while I was in Missouri. Uh, it was a child research development program at Mizzou and my program was human development and family science. So that was a part of my graduate, I guess in, it wasn't an internship, but I had to work in that research lab. I was doing data collection and working in the preschool. So it was just, It was a lot. I did that for almost two years. When I got pregnant, I was like, no, I am not being pregnant and working in that school. I I can't do it. Yeah. 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 I had my fair share. I worked at FAMU's daycare um, for what is it called? Student, student something. When they pay you student. Uh, I forgot what it's called. The program. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, work study. Yep, I worked there, and it was one little girl. I would never forget her. She kicked my hiney. And then I, um, she's probably grown now, has to be. Um, and then I also worked in high school at a daycare preschool. And so I would do the after-school program with the bigger kids. But during the summer, I actually, like, had my own class and stuff like that. And um, it's funny, I'm a school psychologist now because one of my students, he was on the spectrum. I didn't know what that was back then. Right. Um, but mom was very concerned he had all these behaviors all these stimming behaviors I worked really hard with him that summer he was nonverbal, and um his first words was bye Miss Devin and I would never forget that um and I think about him all the time like I don't know where he is now but um it's funny my line of work ended up being a school psychologist and I even know what I was doing back then but I something on my heart just really put little Tyler I bet. And That's I worked so sweet. with everybody. Nobody wanted to work with Tyler because he was, he was rough. He was hard. But by the end of the summer, he said, bye, Ms. Devin. And then his mom got resources and he ended up going to a different school that provided more resource, resources for him. So, hmm. I mean, you're that doing the work so you're supposed beautiful. to. Yeah. I just really That's reflected when we get and together, about that. I got to tell you a story about a little boy. Yeah. That is so beautiful. Oh, I'm going to remember you and Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, all the daycare talk and babies and preschoolers biting and hitting. We have a <laughs> germs. <laughs> we need a we drink. drink. Oh, drink it from the juice. So today's Mama Juice is, of course, inspired by Kiki and the line of work that she's in and the the little ones that she supports. This drink is called the Wiggle Worm, because if you are or have been around preschool age kids, you know that they can't sit still. It doesn't matter what's going on in life. They cannot sit still. They're always wiggling, always moving. It's like sit down somewhere. But that's just not how they <laughs> They, they process things. They won't. Conscious discipline. <laughs> right. I have to be mindful of this. 
Um, so what the wiggle worm has, this is the cocktail version. This is a sweet drink because, you know, it makes sense, right? You need energy. You need energy. So it has two ounces of rum. It has an ounce of fresh lemon juice, an ounce of fresh lime juice, one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, uh, an ounce of simple syrup, and you top it with grenadine. If you want to get real festive, you can put some gummy worms on top. <laughs> that is the Wiggle Worm cocktail. And if you are interested in the mocktail version, all you have to do is remove the rum. Love it. And it's the Wiggle Worm. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so if this is your first time listening, we have another segment called Mama's Corner. And so Mama's Corner, we're a little bit reflective or our listeners will write in a question and we'll kind of ask our guests and then they will answer the question and we will answer the question as well. So we have someone who wrote in about daycare help. So it says, hey, hey, my baby is starting preschool after being home after 16 months. How can I prepare? Help. All caps. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the baby say that again the baby. the baby is starting daycare after being home for 16 months Ooh, i was That's that you. mama 18 months right yeah eli started at 18 months but let's let <laughs> kiki uh respond to that question first I'm go first okay because <laughs> you're um, the professional the speed <laughs> i would say so this this parent is saying that their child is 16 months old mm-hmm. and they're okay. going to daycare for the first time Got it. So first times can be really, really hard, right? And so if there is any way possible for you to um, be able to go by and kind of do a sit-in and be available um, for those hard moments, I think that would be a really great way to start transitioning. You are that child's first person, right? And so they've known you, you've known their responses, you've known their cues, and this is no shade or no disrespect to child care providers or preschools, but families really need to be empowered to be the experts on their children because they're with them, especially when they've been home throughout that first year of life. And so having them um, build a partnership where they can kind of come in, um, even if it's only for like 15 minutes, right before I pick up, instead of just grabbing my child and leaving, I can stick around and hang out for a little bit, see how they play, see how they interact, or maybe stay a few minutes when I'm doing um, arrival. Um, Some schools want you to just drop off and go, but really just try to ask um, for that kind of grace uh, when it's your first time coming into a school. Another suggestion that I would have is find out the routine and try to model that routine at home on the weekend so that you can be consistent. Um, You know, that can be them providing you with the daily schedule of the classroom, or they can have some type of communication book where they're writing things down, sharing with you, you know, how they're eating, how they're sleeping, how they're playing throughout the day. And the last thing I would say um, for a new mom helping to get ready would be a comfort item. Um, Find out if the school will allow the child to bring in something that they uh, love to have at home or something that reminds them of you. It could be a picture of you. It could be a picture of your family, something that you can put in the classroom uh, to allow the child to feel comforted um, when those big moments of sadness. And for the family themselves, for the mama who wrote this, breathe, baby, you got this. You've chosen the school that you want your child to go to. Um, you feel good about it and so just take those deep breaths and remember that your state dictates their state so if you're anxious about them going they're going to feel your anxiety and they're going to take that into the classroom so if you want them to go in and have a great day wish them well breathe for them and and be available if they need you but 
Don't hover. Don't helicopter. Just give him a little <laughs> bit of space to see if he can or she can uh, make that transition. Love yeah. that. Love that. The only thing I would probably add, because that was so thorough, is maybe uh, do a half a day before you do that full day or maybe do a few half a days or maybe the first day you do three hours and then you make it longer to after nap and then you know something like that um just so they can kind of ease their way into it because it's going to be new for them as well and so they can get used to that transition that would be my only addition you and kiki well really kiki um <laughs> she gave my i mean you too you too but kiki the the one thing i was going to say was asking for the schedule um, just so that you can transition your kid um, efficiently and, and they're comfortable with, they at least have some idea into the new yeah. structure that they're being essentially forced into. Mm-hmm. Um, so just again, like Kiki said, breathe, do those half days. Cause we, we did that as well mm-hmm. um, where we essentially dropped them off. And <laughs> um, we did, you know, hang around a little bit just to kind of get an idea and see how um, he would adjust. But that was a, a really good tip that we've gotten before too. And, and it helped. So yeah. all of this is good feedback, mama. Um, you're going to be fine. Your baby's going to be fine. And you're going to be looking forward to the times where you have yes. to drop them off. I know. And then you've got to be <laughs> like daycare, come get your babies. Because you just get used to them. Being yeah. at school, yeah. When they yeah. close down, you got to be with them all. Never day. mind you. Quickly reminded that daycare is very beneficial. I would also say, um, just engage yourself as much as possible mm-hmm. too with the school. It's activities, newsletters, like get on the listserv if they have an app for communication. Mm-hmm. Download it. Anything you can do to involve yourself with whatever is going on yep. in your baby's school, do it because yeah. that will expose you to so much yeah. and. It lets baby know that you feel comfortable with them being in that space, too. And lastly, I don't know if you're nursing or not, but start weeding baby off. Um, If you are nursing, I just thought about that because I do know sometimes when kids are home later, they nurse longer. Um, So if you are nursing, this is me assuming that you are. Start weeding baby off of that, too, because that might be a difficult transition. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a a good question. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Mama. Let us know how it goes. You never write us back and let us know if our advice was helpful or not because you probably already went through it. So maybe reading this late, I don't know. But um, Kiki, thank you. This is awesome. We can't wait to have you back. This was so So insightful. And I know this is going to be helpful for so many mamas. Keep doing the work you're doing. Yes. Jack could be anywhere on your Thursday nights and you are kicking it with us at the Real Mama Pod. Yes. So friend, where can they find us on the socials? They can find us wherever they like. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Pinterest, and we are at the Real Mama Pod. If you are curious about my life, I'm at Kendra Ferg underscore on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And I'm Kendra Ferguson on Facebook. Okay. And I'm mainly on Instagram. You can follow me at devgrace underscore. Mm-hmm. Um, check out our website if you want to know more about us. Yes. If you want some mama merch, yes. out. we're in our sweatshirts today. Yes. But we have other things on there. We also have rich auntie merch. So check us out. Yes. Uh, you can reach us at www dot the real mama pod <laughs> dot 
Yes. And if you are listening to us, of course, we need your reviews. Rate, subscribe, yes. review us. We are on all major platforms yes. and YouTube. Please make sure you leave your review. Yes, we've been working hard on our videos. As you, If you started with us from day one, you <laughs> see it's just getting better with time. So continue to be patient with us. And we thank you. Yes. And one last thing. If you have something from Mama's Corner. Yes. <laughs> Please write my friend in Mama's Corner. Yes. You can write us at Mama at the realmamapod.com. Yep. That's it. All right. <laughs> Until, Until next time. time. Bye. Bye.